Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Join us for an in-depth look at Iowa agriculture. Here's your host, Riley Smith. Welcome into this week's edition of Weekend Ag Matters. I'm Riley Smith. Russ Parker, Dustin Huffman, and Mark Magnuson will all join us later on in the show. As for right now, let's start with a quick look at the news headlines. On Monday, Mexico announced via decree that it has done away with a deadline to ban GMO corn for animal feed and manufactured products. Previous decrees from the Mexican government had signaled a target date of 2024 or 2025 for a ban of all imported GMO corn, which gave worry to U.S. farmers who feared that their biggest export market could soon be off the table. Mexico's new decree still states that the country will enact the gradual substitution of genetically modified feed corn, but did not set a target date for the ban to be in place. Mexico still plans to ban the import of genetically modified corn for direct human consumption. Mexico imports less U.S. white corn, which is eaten fresh and also made into white corn tortilla flour. In other news, farmers and ranchers still have time to be counted in the 2022 Census of Agriculture, according to the USDA's National Agricultural Statistics Service. Although the deadline for submitting the ag census just passed, NAS will continue to accept completed census questionnaires through the spring to ensure all farmers and ranchers take advantage of the opportunity to be represented in the widely used data. NAS will continue to follow up with producers through the spring with mailings, phone calls, and personal visits. Farmers and ranchers are encouraged to complete their ag census online at agcounts.usda.gov or by mail as soon as possible. Federal law mandates that everyone who received the 2022 Census of Agriculture questionnaire complete and return it. The same law requires NAS to keep all submissions confidential. NAS will release the results of the Ag Census in early 2024. And that's all the time we have for news headlines this week. Check out the rest of our daily news stories on iowaagnet.com. And while you're there, go ahead and sign up for our newsletter to get our daily content conveniently delivered to you every day. We'll go ahead now and kick it over to Russ Parker with his faith-based Food for Thought here on Weekend Ag Matters. I was down in the basement the other day at my grandkids' house doing grandpa duty, and they invited me into their fort. It was a combination of strategically placed furniture, blankets, and heavy objects to keep the blanket corners weighted down. And I got down on my hands on my knees and went inside and back to my childhood. Have you ever built a fort? Well, I sure hope you have. I'm not sure I remember my first fort, but I do remember my brother and me calling the woodshed our fort, and then Dad helping us build one using a couple of trees up on the hill behind the house. And we also created one in an old storage area underneath the barn roof at my neighbor's house. We had teams and attacked the fort throwing apples and shooting kernels of corn with homemade guns propelled by elastic bands. And the defenders used the same kind of ammunition and buckets of water to greet anyone who tried to climb the ladder. The fort was our safe place. It was our property and was almost a magical place where our imaginations could take us almost anywhere. I remember too in school we read and studied about real forts, like Fort Ticonderoga, Fort Sumter, the Alamo, Fort McHenry. I even visited a couple. Most recently, Fort Pickens on the Pensacola Beach in Florida. Each one of these has a history that focuses on a strategic place purposed for defense and even battles that stir our imagination. 
And as a dad, fort building for the kids has always been encouraged. And as a grandpa, hopefully be able to build one with the grandkids someday. Having a safe place that they can call their own and stretch their imaginations is, to me, a good thing. And I'd invite your imagination to consider what King David wrote in Psalm 18. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call you the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and so I shall be saved from my enemies. Food for thought, I hope. This is Russ Parker. Have a blessed day. Thanks, Russ, and that's it for segment one of this week's program. Coming up after this short break, Dustin has his monthly chat with Iowa Ag Secretary Mike Nag. This is Weekend Ag Matters. In February, we celebrate World Radio Day. Here at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network, we aim our programming to be Iowa-centric. Our slogan is Iowa Ag Matters. Today, the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network offers nine programs per day, anywhere from two and a half to four minutes in length. Plus, we offer a long-format weekend program called Weekend Ag Matters. We thank you for supporting the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network as we celebrate World Radio Day in February. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's your host, Dustin Hoffman. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. I'm Dustin Huffman. Hard to believe we're in the second half of February already, but it is time once again for our monthly chat with Iowa Ag Secretary Mike Nag. We talk about a whole host of topics. Well, we're talking right now with Iowa Ag Secretary Mike Nag. And Secretary, it's, I can't believe February is already half over. How are things going right now? I know. It's hard to believe uh, January is already behind us, and, and it won't be that long. I, I just was with a group of of uh, co-op executives and uh, spring is very shortly upon us. So last month we started to talk a little bit about hinting at the farm bill. We know that's top of the line for you know policy yeah. in the United States and everybody's always got wish lists and things they want to see on it. You know, from a uh, IDEL's perspective, secretary, what kind of things are you hoping to see come out of these discussions and hopefully make that farm bill? Yes, the farm bill is definitely, it's, it is the top issue from a policy standpoint federally this year. I've just gotten back from my uh, National Association of State Departments of Ag uh, meeting, NASDA. Uh, that is, was in Washington, D.C., and so yeah, absolutely farm bill dominated the discussion. I, I always start with, and I think I told you this last time we talked, you know, there's 12 titles in the farm bill, and every one of them has something that impacts the state of Iowa. And so we're, we're going to have opinions on lots of programs and things within each of those titles. But I always start from the top with, you know, what are what are some of the most important things that we've got to ensure are strong in this farm bill? The top in my mind is a strong crop insurance uh, program because we can break things down into two categories, things you can control and things you can't control. And crop insurance helps you manage the risk around the things you can't control. And uh, it is critically important. So if we're going to talk about resiliency in agriculture and really mean that we want to do things that support resiliency and the ability to be productive in the face of challenges, then you've got to invest in, in those types of programs. So right off the top, those uh, that's one of my top items. But really, there's just a series of things that we could get into uh, that'll be important to the state of Iowa. 
Now, when we talk about crop insurance, obviously it's it's going to be a hard sell to some of the legislators that are not rural based that they right. don't always understand it because you know in 2018 crop prices were not good, and you know we were we we're thinking okay we need this safety net we need this we need to know that that's there and right now they're going to turn around and say well soybeans are are a lot mm-hmm. higher than they were uh, almost you know 100 higher than they were you know corn is higher than it was do you guys really need this? But they also got to understand this is a five-year window. We don't know what's going to happen six months from now, especially if we get a good crop on top of Brazil's good crop. That is so spot on. You know, uh, for, first of all, let's at the top of this, we would say that farm bills are always challenging. In that, uh, it's not just a, it, it's not just the farm legislators who are voting on this, right? There are every member of Congress is going to take a vote on this, and you've got many, many members who have zero ag land in their in their districts. So think of, uh, you know, Randy Feenstra, one of the largest and most valuable ag uh, congressional districts in the country versus a uh, member of Congress from uh, Los Angeles County. And why is it that 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 individual needs to think about and care about a farm bill? And so one, there's always a huge education uh, ramp up that's needed. And especially in a year like this, where there is a significant percent of the members of Congress are new and a significant percent of the, that may not be new or maybe one or two terms in, but they've never voted on a farm bill. And so that's where farm groups and coalitions and groups like NASDA uh, need to make sure that we're educating folks on the importance of all these different programs. But, you know, again, I would bring it back to that. This is a farm and a food bill a significant percent, you know, 80 plus percent of the farm bill is actually supplemental nutrition. And, uh, and that's as it should be, because you've got to have, you got to have uh, people from all different sides wanting to vote for this, uh, this bill. And that's sort of historically how that's accomplished. I would also note that uh, farm bills are historically bipartisan and uh, that when there's conflict that arises uh, issues to be sorted through, it's oftentimes that it's regional in, in nature or it's dairy States versus uh, sugar beets versus wheat versus cotton. It's regional and different commodities versus each other uh, where where some of those disagreements occur. So I, I'm still optimistic that uh, even though it's a tight, tight, tight schedule, that we will, in fact, see a farm bill completed uh, in this calendar year. Speaker McCarthy has said he wants it to be done. That's a that's a big indicator that we can get something accomplished. Now, of course, as you said, you just got done meeting with a lot of your counterparts from around the country. I mean, what kind of things did you talk about besides Farm Bill? Yeah, you know, again, it's back to this uh, uh, creating, back, back to basics, some of the essential things that we need. So we, we focused heavily on trade and markets for uh, products of all kinds, and, and especially how do we get a gain of footing in emerging markets and uh, excited about that. I I'm I'm a state of Iowa. I'll be leading two trade missions here to Southeast Asia in the next uh, six weeks or so. And so it's good to be back on the road. So we talked a lot about trade. Uh, We talked a lot about foreign animal diseases as well. So high path avian influenza, but also our planning around how do we prepare for an African swine fever? Now, again, those have got each of those categories, by the way, has a farm bill a nexus as well. So we did talk about some of those policies, but I would say, uh, and then workforce. Workforce was maybe the third item that everybody's got challenges and we see it all across ag and what are the creative ways that we can attract more people in, into agriculture. I would say those would be some of the top issues that we focused on this, this year. 
Now, kind of tying that together, then, you, you, as you mentioned, African swine fever, you know, avian influenza also are part of the farm bill. What kind of things are we hoping to get out of that? I mean, obviously, we're seeing avian influenza possibly being a longer fight than we anticipated a year ago. In fact, we just heard uh, it was found in, in two new countries in South America. So this is, this is a growing problem in, in this whole hemisphere. It is. First of all, 48 states in the United States have dealt with it this year. It's a huge outbreak. Now the largest foreign animal disease outbreak in U.S. history. Uh, we have to expect that we're once again going to be dealing with it this spring. We can hope that we won't, but we have to plan as though we are. You know, there, there's uh, many, many things that, that then materialize again in a farm bill discussion around, you know, uh, coming out of last farm bill, creating a vaccine bank for, uh, I think it was intended to at least start with a foot and mouth disease vaccine bank. We need to look at ASF vaccine as well. And uh, also there's lots of conversations around how do we build more capacity to respond to uh, outbreaks. And so that's everything from support for Iowa State's vet diagnostic lab and also ensuring that states have resources to hire veterinarians. And boy, hiring vets right now is very, very challenging. So uh, those are some things. And then, of course, there's trade implications for all of that. And how do we encourage regionalization? So, uh, you know, if we've got a uh, problem in one part of the country with one disease outbreak that it doesn't impact uh, exporters in another, if you can prove that you can keep those separate. So some policy discussions uh, like that. And, and again, a lot of support for industry and for the capacity to respond to diseases. That'll be a, a focus for Farm Bill as well. And speaking of the bird flu, I mean, where are things at right now in the state of Iowa? You know, just kind of give us an update of where we're sitting here right now. You know, we're, we're approaching, gosh, we're, we're almost a month out from our last uh, positive turkey site in the state of Iowa that happened in the middle of January. Maybe what looking forward, I'm reminded that I was on a trade mission in Mexico last year, uh, right at the beginning of March, when we announced last year's first case. And so we're, we're right on the doorstep of spring uh, migration again. And, and so talking with neighboring states and, and with the USDA about what are we seeing in terms of uh, monitoring for the disease in the wild bird population as they're moving north, we can again hope that uh, they have shed this virus, uh, gotten rid of it as they went south. Uh, but I think uh, unfortunately we're gonna have to expect that we're dealing with it again. But we ourselves have now seen several weeks of, uh, of a break and uh, really trying to focus on how do we get prepared for spring if we if we once again are having to deal with it. And that kind of was able to kind of a little bit tie me in here to the next topic. You mentioned your trade trip to Mexico last yeah. year. And of course, I'm sure one of the things that was talked about was their proposed ban on GMO corn. Now we've had some negotiation. They're seeming to have changed their stance just a little bit here in the last week. I mean, where are things at and how do we feel about that from an Iowa perspective? Well, this is a major issue, and uh, I will. The short answer is there was no improvement uh, in, in uh, the position, uh, at least from a philosophical and a scientific basis for uh, for what Mexico is trying to do. They did not improve the situation one bit uh, this, this past week when they when they sort of updated the presidential decree. So let's go back. President of Mexico decrees does a presidential decree in what in which he says that uh, you know. They will no longer allow growing of biotech corn in the country. And also they want to prohibit or ban the importation of biotech corn. Well, Mexico is a huge grain market for us. Guess what? 97% plus of the grain that's coming from the United States into Mexico is biotech. 
uh, critically important input for their industrial sector, but also for their livestock producers, dairy and egg production and uh, pork as well. So a, a huge market for us. And, and more, even more importantly than that, it is essential to Mexican food security. And uh, we should care about that as well, in addition to the economics of it. Well, first of all, on its face, it violates the USMCA. You can't do this. We agreed to regulate trade based on science. And uh, this absolutely has no food safety or human health impact whatsoever. And so the, the, the request from the U.S. government now has been to the Mexican government is prove the science that supports your position. That's what they were supposed to be coming back with here recently. And what they did is sort of re-up the, the presidential decree and said, well, we'll allow yellow corn, biotech yellow corn to be imported for livestock but everything else, no. And in fact, white corn is immediately banned. Again, you can't have it. They're in violation of the USMCA. This is too important a market for us to look the other way. So uh, it's just a time to redouble our efforts and, and focus on uh, this must be resolved. And uh, it's too important for uh, consumers in Mexico and too important a market for us to just let this slide. All right. Well, Secretary, I thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it as always. We'll talk to you next month. That again was Iowa Ag Secretary Mike Nag. And that's it for this segment of Weekend Ag Matters. When we come back after the break, Mark Magnuson will be in to wrap things up. Hi, my name is Ethan Smith, and I've been a certified crop advisor in Iowa for about six years. The Iowa CCA program is valuable to me because it helps keep me informed on new topics and research around the industry, including soils, insects, diseases, and much more. It's also a great way to network with others around the state and beyond. Iowa is known for its crops, and that's why we're here. To learn more about becoming a certified crop advisor, visit iowacca.org. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's Mark Magnuson. You are listening to Weekend Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. I'm Mark Magnuson. Last Friday, Undersecretary for Trade and Foreign Agricultural Affairs Alexis Taylor was in Iowa on the campus of Iowa State University. Here's my interview with Undersecretary Taylor from last week. Mark Magnuson for the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network, and I'm here with Alexis Taylor. She is the Undersecretary for Trade and Foreign Agricultural Affairs. And Alexis, you were recently sworn in, not too long ago. We know this process for you to be nominated and then go through the confirmation hearings and everything that goes along with it took a little bit of time, but does it feel good now that it's all squared away and you're here today on Iowa State's campus? Yeah, it feels great. Um, I had so much great support from the Iowa agricultural sector, which I'm very appreciative of. Um, and I got sworn in at the very uh, end of last year and started at the beginning of January. So I'm six weeks on the job um, and just really tried to hit the ground running. And it's great to be here at Iowa State University, uh, meeting with farmers and our agricultural food and um our agricultural food export sector to hear about the challenges and opportunities that they have before them and how we at USDA can really support them. 
And have you been able to just hit the ground running, jump right into it and get to work right from the get-go? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've already done one international trip, my third week on the job. This is my first domestic trip uh, and just have been meeting with a diverse uh, cross-section of industry back in D.C. to understand um, their priorities uh, for new and uh, expanding uh, diverse uh, market opportunities. And it's been a really great six weeks and I'm looking forward to the next uh, six months ahead. And you are an Iowa State grad, so it's kind of cool today you're here on campus, able to have a roundtable discussion, and just how does it feel to be in such an official position representing U.S. agriculture, and you get to come back to your home state, you know, and get to talk to everybody from this official spot. Yeah, it's great to be back at my alma mater. Um, Anytime I have an opportunity to come to Iowa State's campus, it's just so welcome. Um, And I think, you know, one of the things coming, having Iowa my first domestic trip, being able to be back uh, and here and meet with our farmers and ranchers here in Iowa, just reminds me why why I do this job globally. Um, The work that we do to open markets, to expand into new markets, is so important to farmers and ranchers, uh, bottom line. their profitability. I grew up on a farm in Iowa. Uh, My family still farms. Uh, And so the work that I do being able to tie that back to uh, their livelihoods uh, is really important to me and impactful. And I carry that with me when I'm in DC or all over the world. And could you tell our audience what your job was before you became the undersecretary for um, trade and overseas work as far as expanding U.S. agriculture? Where was your job? Because it was kind of a similar path, I believe. Well, I started my career um, after graduating Iowa State. I moved to D.C. and started working on Capitol Hill. And so I worked for the late uh, Congressman Leonard Boswell. I worked for an Iowa, or excuse me, a Montana senator. Uh, and then I went to USDA and worked um, in the uh, domestic farm policy and international trade space. Um, that from there I went to work at Oregon and I ran the State Department of Agriculture in Oregon. So helping farmers and ranchers and agribusinesses there navigate um, natural resource protection, uh, building economic opportunities, including exports uh, and developing international markets in priority uh, country uh, countries around the world. And so um, coming back to USDA, it feels very familiar. Um, I think there are so many opportunities and we continue to set records in the agricultural export space. Uh, The Commerce Department uh, just this week released released the calendar year data for food and agricultural exports, and we set a record, a record of a record. So we uh, exported last year $196 billion of food and agricultural exports. And that's excellent, and that's so important and impactful um, for Iowa farmers um, and producers in the state. Uh, $14 billion of that uh, was from Iowa food and agricultural exports. So that's important to the economic viability of rural communities and our farmers and ranchers' bottom line here. Do you feel that when you're in Washington, D.C., because like you said, you grew up on a farm, you have that authenticity, do you think people take you, you know, very seriously in that respect then because you have grown up your whole life with a farm background? I think so. I think because I've seen a lot of the practices or the benefits that we talk about in D.C., I've seen it firsthand. Um, I can talk about seeing my dad, um, you know, moving to no-till uh, early on in the in the late 80s um, and the impact that's had. And now that's common practice here. Um, and we're develop, deploying more advanced conservation practices um, like cover cropping. Uh, and so I think, you know, 
having that background, having those relationships, my family still farms, the people I grew up with, my friends and neighbors are still in agriculture. And so having those relationships just to even tap back into, to talk to about what really is going on, what the real challenges and the real opportunities they see, and then trying to bring that back to DC um, as I'm meeting with other countries and um, officials and policymakers within DC, I think is impactful. So what would you say then is your mission statement kind of, what is your goal for now that you have officially been sworn in, you've been already getting to work, what would you like to see done here in your time in this role? So I think looking to build new diverse markets is a priority, Um, making sure that we have access to those markets where producers want to go. These are, it's not where I want to go, it's where where do they see the market opportunity? Where do they want to invest their time? And how do we as the government help support that effort? Um, I think also ensuring that our trading partners are living up to the commitments and agreements that they have made to our farmers and ranchers. That is also another priority. And so in spending a lot of time with our trading partners on um, where the challenges are, how do we try to move forward and really deliver that market access that our farmers and ranchers need to continue to their economic viability. And I've got to ask this because I read it in your bio, 160 years for the family farm. So a heritage farm plus even on top of that, another decade, there weren't that many people in the state of Iowa at that point in time. I mean, how how prideful are you in that fact? 160 years on your family farm at home here in Northeast Iowa. Yeah, I'm very proud of that fact. Um, it is certainly part of our family identity, as you can imagine. It's kind of like the fifth member of our family. Um, I grew up in the house my dad was born in. Um, and But I think uh, more than anything, I know how hard it is, because I've seen how hard it is to keep that family farm going uh, and the challenges that are there. And I think that's really what drives me in this role is to provide opportunities for those family farms who want to pass that farm operation on to the next generation. and with my role and what I'm doing, how can I support that? And that's what really drives me every day uh, in this op- with, with this opportunity. And where is your farm exactly? What's the closest town there? Holy Cross. Okay. So that's Northeast Iowa, for those who don't know. We are here with Undersecretary Alexis Taylor, Undersecretary of Trade and Foreign Agriculture Affairs. Thank you so much for the time. Best of luck in the new role. It's been very fun talking to you today. And again, best of luck going forward. Great. Thanks so much for your time, and thank you. That was Undersecretary for Trade and Foreign Agricultural Affairs, Alexis Taylor. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of Weekend Ag Matters. You can listen to this and all of our previous episodes of Weekend Ag Matters under the podcast tab at iowaagnet.com. From the IARN studios in Des Moines, for Dustin Huffman, Russ Parker, and Riley Smith, I'm Mark Magnuson. We thank you for listening. Please join us again next week for Weekend Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network.